It is so secure. But as I was, was beating these tent packs into the ground, I was thinking about all the times I love camping and all the times I've been camping and how important it is to have those pegs in the ground. And it struck me, this is exactly what we're talking about in this series, that these values, faith, community, peace, generosity, love and hope are like pegs. They're pegs that secure us to the ground. The wind is blowing and the waves are crashing and all the madness of our world. These things act as anchors to keep us grounded. And again, if you're here for the first time, this is what we've been talking about over the last few weeks, the importance of faith and community and peace and generosity, next week hope. But today I want to talk to you about love. But specifically, how God's love acts as an anchor in our lives when the world around us and the world within us is crazy. Now here's something I know about all of you without knowing all of you. That is this, every one of us is looking for love. Every single one of us, even the most insensitive, hardest, brash person who doesn't have any emotions, we're all looking for love. We want a love that can make us happy, right? We want a love that can hold us in difficult times, uh, security, you know, that can affirm us when we're attacked and we feel down. We want a love that can help us practically. I mean, to the day, when you think about marriage, there's lots of benefits of marriage, physical benefits, emotional benefits. Hopefully one of you can cook, so cooking benefits and so on. But at the end of the day, what you're looking for in a spouse is a helper, a partner, a companion, someone you get to do life with. It just blows my mind that, like I said, 18 years with my wife and pretty soon I'll have been with, with her longer than my own family. It just seems natural to me. And just like a family, we argue there's some difficult days. I'm always right. She's always wrong, but I let her think she's right. So, I don't, so I'm not wrong and, and so on. So we want help, but we also want a love that can act as a home for us, a center place. A place that we can go to. A place that we can call our own. A place from which we, des- we, we derive our identity, our surname. We want a love that, that won't fail us. That we knock on the door on the most difficult day, we'll find it opens for us. The problem with most of our experience of love in the world, online or in the room, is that so often as we look for all those things, we experience disappointment. Why? Because love inevitably lets us down. Time and time again. Like you thought she loved you and she abandoned you. You expected love from your parents, but they didn't give it to you. You look for love in that group of friends, but as soon as they didn't need you, they dumped you. You thought that, oh, even if you didn't perform to the standard the team required or the class required, you'd still be accepted, and you weren't. And many of us, were annoyed with love. We're like, man, I'm not even sure if I want it anymore because it seems like every time I open myself up to love and be loved, I get burned. Which again, full circle, it leaves us feeling abandoned. It can leave us feeling apathetic. And let's be honest, it can leave us feeling very angry. And all of us have stories and instances where someone, another person's love, our, our expectation of another person's love let us down to a point where maybe when it comes to love itself or relationships in general, you're at a point where you're like, you know what, it doesn't really matter. I don't really care. I don't need people. I have no plan to have friends. I have no plan to be married. I'm going to live my life self-sufficiently so I never, ever, ever have to love or be loved ever again. That's a really sad way to live life. And even though it may seem like a form of anchoring, even that, that protecting and shielding ourselves from the failure of others and loving us, still we will find that when the storms come, we still will not be able to be centered. So the question we're asking is, is how is God's love different? And if God's love is different, how can it help us stay centered 
in our crazy world. And to help us answer that question, as always, we're going to turn to God's Word, the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 14 to 19. All of the notes from today's message are in the Bible app, by you version. Click on more, click on events, find Lighthouse Church Dublin, and all of today's notes are there. But we're going to look at this, this letter. This, this is like a, an email that the Apostle Paul wrote a church like ours in a city called Ephesus, which existed in modern-day Turkey. And the Apostle Paul is encouraging this local church, just to try to encourage them, trying to get them to see how, how vast and how great and how, how much we actually have in our relationship with God. And after, for the first 13 verses, explaining how he was called to be a witness of the good news, to share this good news of people, he now, in response to the, just to the awesome privilege of being a servant of God, prays for the people in the church Ephesus. And by extension, his prayer applies to us too. In verse 14, he says, For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that you watch out of his glorious riches. I pray out of God's unlimited resources, out of the, out of the, out of the riches of heaven, that he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Now, time out for a second. Isn't this what we want in life? We want to be strengthened. And we know in our heart of hearts that we don't have a lot or any power. We need power to be given to us to help us just live life. And one of the reasons why some of you maybe in the room who aren't Christ followers, aren't Christians, or are not anymore, one of the reasons why you're frustrated with church is because for so long you came looking for help and hope for strength and power, and all you got was rules and regulations and got the crap beaten out of you for not following those rules and regulations. That is not what the gospel says. Paul is praying. Paul is recognizing. The scripture says to you, there is strength and there is power that comes from God's spirit and comes from within us. Verse 17, where does it come from? Well, here's the answer. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts, true faith is a very interesting, very important sequence of words. What he's saying is that for Christ to live within us, we need to put our faith in him. When we put our trust in Jesus, when we recognize him as Lord and Savior of the world, when we put the weight of who we are in all of who he is, then all of a sudden Christ comes to live within us. And when that happens, and, and the, what the result is, Paul says, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love. In other words, these are passive participles. What does that mean? It means as the result, when God, as Christ lives in your heart, you will be rooted and established in love, which in turn, verse 18, gives us power to get all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that this love surpasses knowledge. It's almost like a, a juxtaposition, a dichotomy. Like it's, it's like two things that are opposed. Why? Because he's saying, I, if you have this power, you'll be able to grasp in a sense, roughly speaking, how long, how, how, how high, how, how wide. In other words, you'll realize how you can't get your head around it because it surpasses all knowledge. And here's the wonderful mystery in this verse that if I had time, we would do a whole new series on this last line that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Like imagine unlimited data. No limitation on gigabytes. I mean, it's like unlimited, the fullness of God. What a wonderful thought. What a wonderful thing Paul wants for the church. But I want to zero in on, because we can't do all of it today. The part I want to really focus in on is in verse 17. 
For we prayed that Christ may dwell, live, abide in our hearts through faith, and that because of that, we would be rooted and established in love. Now, let's just take a moment to, to, to break this down, and let's look at a definition of terms, because a lot of key words in there that are really important for us if we are going to be centered in this crazy world. The first word is the word love, because we just said love will let you down, right? Well, does that mean God's love lets us down? No. Well, well why not? Because it's a different kind of love. And we're so limited in English because we only have one word for love. But in the Greek language in which the New Testament in particular was written, they had many different kinds of words for love. Why? Because let's just say, for example, I would say to you, do you love chocolate? And you would say, yeah. Do you love your mother? But you love your mother in the same way you love chocolate. I mean, like, it's the same word. This is the problem we have. Clearly and hopefully, anyway, your love for your mother far supersedes your love for chocolate. Maybe that's the case. We will pray for you. Maybe your chocolate is that good. I don't know. Anyway, I don't know your mother. So, but the point is, the point is, if it was a chocolate versus mother-in-law question, just saying. Um, Actually, I didn't say you did. So, this is the problem. We're so limited with the English word love because, like, well, you can't. I love my dog. I love chocolate. I love. Sunny days, I love waking up early, I love my wife, I love God. It's all the same word, but in the Greek language, there was different words for different kinds of love. There was like a brotherly kind of love. There's obviously the erotic form of love. But the word that's used here is the word agape, okay? And that word agape, the Greek word agape, literally can be translated as an unconditional love. A love that is of and from God, the Father's love for His children. That's very specific. So when Paul says, I want you to be rooted and established, like, I want your, your foundation to be love, what he means is I want you to be centered on a love that by definition can only come from God. You can't find this love in social media. You can't find this love in money. You can't find this love in affirmation or popularity or fame. You can't find this love in another person. This love only comes from God. And it's the only kind of love, yeah, come on, that can really center us, that can hold us down when the storms of life come. It is a love of and from God. The word rooted then, the second key word I want to look at in Greek is the word erizomenoi. Get that? Erizomenoi. Anyway, the point is, what does the word mean? This word refers to the idea that you can only grow to the limit that our rootedness allows. Meaning, here's a picture of a tree. Like, what we see is we see the tree. We see the branches, we see the leaves, we see, we see the trunk, we see the tree. But the root system that is unseen is always bigger, larger, more expansive than what's seen. And if we want to grow to the fullness of our potential, again, whether you're a Christ follower or not, whatever that is to you today, whether it's your own ambition or what you believe is God's call for your life, we cannot grow if we're limited in our root system. And the point is this, if, even if we have a very deep root system, it was not in the soil that is the agape love of God, at the end of the day, we're still going to be blown over. But if we want to grow to the fullness of who we are, what we're called to do and called to be, we have to be rooted like a tree. The third word then is the word established. So rooted and established. And this is one of the things that the Apostle Paul does that really bothers me because in, the, in another letter, letter to Corinthians, Paul talks in agrarian terms about being like, like he planted this, this church in Corinth, but then it's also God's building. 
And it's like, make up your mind, Paul. Are we in agrarian metaphors or construction metaphors? Because you can't just plant a plant and build a building. It's just very confusing. But in the same way here, he says, like, like being in God's love, being centered in, in his love for us, is like being rooted and established, like, like in a foundation sense. The Greek word is the word uh, themelios. And what it means is our lives cannot outgrow the limit that our foundation allows. Now, you all know, I've heard before, that, you, that the higher you want to build in life, right, the d- deeper you've got to dig the foundation. I don't know if you've ever been to a big city or seen, uh, I, I've, it was in New York a couple of years ago, and I walked by a site where they're getting ready to build a skyscraper. Now, at first, I thought it was a tunnel to Australia, do you know what I'm saying? Because it went so deep. But apparently, the higher you want to build, the deeper you got to dig, right? So we get that. But the thing that surprised me in researching this message was, it's not only the depth, it's also the width. You can't build your walls outside the limitation of your foundation. Because they'll fall down. Here's a picture of foundation. Ironically, this is from Japan for some reason. But like, again, if this homeowner tried to build his walls out here, eventually the house will come down. So the foundation doesn't just decide how high we can go. It also determines how wide we can go. And there's, and there's a sense in where we're limited in life, not just the depth, but also the breadth of our foundation. Now again, Paul prayed, I pray that you being rooted and established in this love. He wants us to be rooted like a tree and established like a foundation in the agape love of God. For us to be able to understand this, for us to be able to put, to put our hands on this, we have to get our heads around what is God's love. Like, what is the agape love of God? And of course, if I were to really do this justice, again, we'll be talking about another four or five week series. But I want to give you an overview, not an exhaustive list, a couple of key points that helps us understand the nature of what God's agape love is. Here's the first point. God's love is unconditional. This is very controversial because for so long, Organizations that may have called themselves churches, which were really religious systems masquerading as churches, used a conditional form of theology to coerce people into conformity. I'll say it simply. People used the idea that you had to earn God's favor to get people to do what they want them to do. And that is wrong, and it's not God, and it's not biblical. But the problem is, even though we know the abuses in the church world, we've also experienced this interpersonally. Why? Because let's be honest, let's be really painfully honest in the room online. Because a lot of our love is conditional of other people. Like think about the world. The, world, the world's version of love is the exact opposite. The world's version of love and our love very often is conditional love. It's conditional. What is the definition of conditional? The definition of conditional is subject to requirement. Meaning I have love. I have a lot of love. I'm a loving person. I'm a kind, warm-hearted, generous, joyful person. And you can have some of my love if you, when you do whatever it is I need you to do to earn that love. In other words, what we say or our culture says is, I love you if you please me. And again, this isn't just destroying interpersonal friendships. This is destroying marriages. This is tearing apart families. I can't see it all the time, and I can't tell you how many times I see people and I go, well, well, why did you leave? What happened? I said, well, I just wasn't getting in and out of it anymore. Excuse me? Did, did you do pre-marriage counseling? I mean, did you listen to what the, what the person said? Did you hear your vows? 
Were you present on your own wedding day? A lot of times in Ireland, that's the problem. They're gone. I'm saying they were gone like before. They're not coming back to at least end the honeymoon. Like, like, what do you mean they won't do for you? The whole, the whole premise of marriage, whether Christian or secular, is I'm giving something to you. Not taking. Taking is called slavery. It's a voluntary giving of myself, my life, my health, my wealth, my future to you. No matter what, for better or for... How many ceremonies have you been to where that line was deleted? Yet every time we say it, none of us mean it. It's so sad. And what happens is, is the people who suffer the most when we don't mean that sentence are the people born out of that relationship. And they're the ones that need it the most. Because they're looking at their mother and father seeing a conditional love that's not working. And they think, maybe mommy and daddy love me conditionally too. Now again, I'm not saying if you're here, as I know many are in our church, and have had a broken relationship or a failed marriage, that you know, you're somehow you're condemned or bad, right? I'm talking generally about our culture. And you know what? You don't even have to have a failed marriage to do these things. You may be married right now and you know you're doing this. The point is across the board, God has a better plan for us. And if you were married and one day want to be remarried, this is what we've got to think about. Is what is, what, is, what is God's unconditional love in terms of his contrast? love? Because at the end of the day, what the world says is, if you don't do what I want, please me, satisfy me, then I won't love you. What's so sad is sometimes, we, it's, not that, it's, not that, it's not that we don't, it's we can't. Because we're broken and we're tired and we don't have the equipment. Like I was talking to my brother today about having babies. It's like, you go to Ikea, and there's like a 400-page man. You have a baby. It's like, best of luck. Like, here's this person I've made. They're mine. And now, all of a sudden, off you go on your bike. All the best. You'll see you next week. It's crazy. Sometimes, not that we don't. Sometimes we can't. And then what happens? We're not loved anymore. And, you know, I understand. I feel it. And, I, and, I, and I'm with you in this. I, we're so fed up of this version of love. It just fails us all the time. It leads to so much of the reason why we're paying counselors lots of money to talk about how, we'll, how this conditional love has failed, whether it be from a parent or a spouse or a friend or someone else. God's love is not a conditional form of love. Even though, again, and I have to say this, religious institutions have made it seem like that. That's not what we find in God's word. God's love is unconditional Perhaps the most famous, most well-known verse in all of Scripture is John's Gospel, chapter 3 and verse 16. And in it, we see it just perfectly summarized. For God so loved that he gave his son to whoever to have eternal life. Watch again. God so loved that he gave his one and only to whoever so that we should have eternal life. In other words, God, God, before we even cared about God, before we even prayed to God, even in spite, maybe you're here right now, you're not a Christ follower, you don't want to be a Christ follower, even if you don't love or like him, he loves and likes you. Because watch this, he loved and he gave to whoever believes. Whoever. Not just to the chosen frozen. Not to the holy huddle. Not to those who play by the rules. Not to those who meet the mark. God gave his love to everyone. And the hope is they will believe, watch this, even for God to be able to give it in that way to whoever believes, it means some won't believe. What does that mean? Does it mean God's love is only reserved for those who believe? No. Watch this. God loves everyone. Whether you believe or don't believe, 
doesn't really matter. You, God's, God's love for you isn't based in who you are. It's based in who he is. I think this is so amazing. Again, I understand why sometimes in churches we can get nervous around this because it's almost like, well, you're saying that I can do whatever I want for the rest of my life and God will still love me? Yes, I am. Well, that means you can't make me feel bad for doing things I shouldn't be doing. True. Well, then how are you going to get me to conform to the system, man? Wrong church. If the reason why you obey is because you're afraid of being found out or beaten up by some religious dude like the Wizard of Oz pulling strings behind a curtain, you've missed the gospel. The reason why Christ followers obey is because we understand it is better to love and worship God with our life than love and worship ourselves. And even though in the moment it may seem like, man, I'm missing out, but not saying yes, in the long run, the fruit of obedience is always proven true and faithful. We love because we worship. Worship isn't singing songs. That's just an expression of our worship. Worship is how we live our lives. God's love for you and God's love for the world is unconditional. The purpose of his love is that we would believe and that we would have life. See, with the definition of conditional was subject to requirement, the definition for unconditional is the object of relationship. You see, the whole purpose of God wanting to have relationship with us in the world is that we would know and experience his love. God wants all of us in this room online, whether we're a Christ follower or not, to experience for ourselves his agape love. And when the world says, I love you if you please me, God says, I love you as you are. And when the world says, well, if you don't, then I won't. God still, if you don't, I still will. And I will never stop loving. And of course, the tension is, which I know is where I'm going through your head is, well, hang on. Well, if God loves me the way I am, if God loves me as I am, does that mean I can stay the way I am, right? So does that mean I can just continue my lifestyle, continue my choices, and God will be happy? Not quite. Why? Because it's true. God loves us the way we are, but God loves us too much to allow us to stay where we are. I mean, I love my kids, heart and soul. I love them even before they were born, even before I ever smelt them or touched them or kissed them or hugged them or fed them or changed their stinking nappies. I mean, I just love them. And when they appeared in real life, it's like, oh my gosh, it's almost like I've known you my, it's almost like I've known you my entire life. I would do anything for my kids. But just because I love them that way, it doesn't mean I agree with all their choices. If my kids are making stupid choices, I'm going to try and help them to see a wiser way. A better because in the moment their perspective is limited to all they see, but I have the perspective of 20 or 30 years. How much more God, a perspective of eternity, can see our unwise choices and how somehow they can end up in unwise consequences? It was C.S. Lewis, the Irish writer uh, and intellect, who said, The Christian does not think God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good. Because he loves us. Just as the roof of a fun house, that should be a sun house. Just as the roof of a sun house, although I want to see a fun house, that's going to be a pretty cool thing. Roof of a sun house does not attract the sun because it is bright, but becomes bright because the sun shines through it. Understand this, and again, if you're here, you're not Christ, you're thinking, so you're telling me that the Christians live a certain way, not because they're being told to or made to know, it's because when the love of God is in you, 
when Christ dwells in your heart, the things that you used to do that were all selfish in nature and sinful and for you and of you and for the glory of yourself, all of a sudden become tasteless, pointless. It's like, yeah, I could spend the rest of my life living life for me, or I can rescue 20 children from poverty. Yeah, I can become a mean, bitter, critical person and become another talking head on the social media world. Or I can put hope out there and life out there. And rather than publicly viscerating someone for their difference of opinion, I can privately encourage them. Like, it's almost like the the whole thing inverts where the things that we used to like, we don't like anymore, even though there's moments where, come on, let's be honest, we struggle. But in the grand spectrum of things, it's almost like we want to do what God wants us to do because His love within us changes us. So the first thing God's love is, is it's unconditional. Number two, it's undeserved. Not only is it unconditional, but like I said, it isn't just for those who believe, it's for whoever. And when you think about how unconditional God's love is, and when you try to get get your mind around the, the width and breadth and depth and length and height of how undeserving we are, it can make us feel like, man, I just feel unworthy. And here's the truth. The reason why you feel unworthy is because you're not worthy. If you're looking for a self-help talk, you're in the wrong building, okay? The truth is you are not worthy. You will never, ever, me, us, we will never be worthy enough to receive the love of God. But here's the beautiful truth. Here's why we call the gospel the good news. Even though we are not worthy, God determined that you were worth it. Even though we're not worthy of earning his love, because of his love for us, God determined that you were worth it. Not all but you, but there's people in the world that I would have determined weren't worth it, personally. Anybody? Have you driven recently? It's like everyone's gotten the license in lockdown and they're all crazy. Every single one of them. If you have an N or an L in your car, please just stay at home. <laughs> the rest of us professionals are trying to go places. The other day, my brother, who's not an N or an L driver, he's been driving for many, many years, but he has this thing where he likes to drive 20 kilometers under the speed limit. Just his thing. So I made the mistake of asking him to bring me home. <laughs> Ten years went by. I mean, it was like, I was on the motorway and the bus passed us out. And he's like... Those things are supposed to have limiters. I'm like, it is limited. And still it's passing you out. Man, my soul is dying. Please, please drive to the speed limit at least. And, and, and it's like sometimes we have these pet bees, we have these frustrations. And if we were God, right, there'd probably be some people that wouldn't make the list. But in God's eyes, he loves everyone. Even the L drivers and the N drivers. <laughs> And even though you're not worthy, you end drivers and L drivers, God says you're worth it. And it isn't just theory, it was proven. It's proven fact. Why? Because God proved, He proved to us that He loves us by sending His Son, Jesus. John 3 16, God so loved that He gave. The, the first act of God's love was generosity. You built it off last week. Verse 8 of Romans chapter 5 is this. But God demonstrates, God proved. Proves God displays, God makes known, God puts his money where his mouth is. In this, when we were still sinners, still sin, not Christian, not baptized, not in church on Sunday, not tithing, not, not whatever it is you think it is, when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's the amazing thought if you're not a believer today. Even if you don't like God, want God, believe in God, God believes in you. 
And even if you never accept him, even if you spend the rest of your life rejecting him, Jesus still died for you. And you go, well, I don't need that. Well, maybe you don't need that for every reason. I think you need that. But at least see it as a demonstration, as proof, as evidence of how much he loves you. You see, religion says you must be good to deserve it. Play by the rules, get in line, conform to our, our standards, and then you'll deserve it. But God says, relationship with God through the gospel says, yes, you may be good to deserve it, but I am good enough to deliver it. Meaning, even when you're not good enough and will never be good enough to deserve it, I am good enough. God is good enough. God is strong enough. God is able enough to deliver to us a grace that we don't deserve. It was St. Augustine when the church fathers said, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. God doesn't love you in group. God doesn't love you as, a, as part of a, a nationality or a denomination or a structure or even your family. God doesn't love you because your parents are Christian. God doesn't love you because you've got a praying aunt or a praying auntie. God loves you because God loves you. I know it's crazy. I might not love you. I, I, I still, every time I stop and think, like, like I know me. And people around me know me, but God really knows me. And God still loves me. It's absolutely mind-blowing. And, I, and I, I've come to the realization, I can never earn that love. That's not the purpose of that love. The purpose of that love is to accept it and to live it, to make it my home, trusting that the love that saved me will sustain me and will secure me for eternity. I don't know how anyone in this world can get through this crazy world without that kind of love. God's love is unconditional. God's love is undeserved. Third and finally, God's love is unshakable. It's unshakable. This is really where we're going with the message. God's love is unshakable. Meaning what? Meaning when the storms around us and the storm within us causes us to slip and slide and we lose our footing, remember? And we lose our grip. And we lose our way. And even though none of us dreamt of, of failing in life or making poor choices or having broken relations or broken dreams, and even though we find ourselves in places we don't want to be, doing things we don't want to do, sometimes with people we don't want to be with, and we wonder, how did I get here? As, we, as the guilt and the shame and the condemnation comes on us and weighs us down, and we realize the prison that we've built with our own choices will be our home forever, and we think, how could God ever care about me? How could he even see me? And even if he did, he'd be so angry with me and so disappointed with me because I knew what I was doing and we find ourselves lost in this pit, in this hole of our own creation. And the, den the, evil, the devil, the enemy, he comes and he says, you are unlovable. You are unredeemable. You are unrescuable. You are, you're just not worth it. And all of a sudden, today we sit here and we think, hold on a second, God's love is unconditional. God's love is undeserved. And when we find everything around us within us shaking, God's love is unshakable. And the only way we can, we, we, we all fall in pits, friends, every single one of us. But God's love makes sure that we don't stay in the pit. God's love provides a ladder. God's love gives, makes a way. Jesus has made a way for us to get out of that pit. But if, you're, if you find yourself in a season where relationally or financially or emotionally or spiritually you're struggling, understand God's love will never let you down. Yeah, it just brings me so much joy 
to know. I don't exaggerate. I don't make this up when I say it. It's not something that I, I'm trained to say. I know it to be true. I'm a, I'm a very authentic person. Those who know me, know me. I see it, I say it. It's how I'm wired. It's who I was before I became a Christ follower. It's what led me to Christ because I was like, that's a load of nonsense. And I'm going to prove it wrong through science and fact and rationale and all these kind of things. And of course, I was proven wrong and became a Christ follower. But I'm still the same person. And it brings me great joy to say that after following Jesus for 20-something years and pastoring for over 18 years and just seeing Christians around me and knowing people that God's love has never let me down. And God's love has never let anyone I know down, which means God's love will never let you down. And if you're here and you're not a Christ follower, this is a very good reason to rethink your faith position. Because we all, we all are looking for a love that makes us happy, that gives us hope, that holds us when we're down, a, 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 a love that helps us, a love that acts as a home. And so often we're disappointed because every version of love we've tried in pills and people fail us. But God's love has never let anyone down and he won't start with you. God's love is unshakable. And God's love is unshakable, not because we're unshakable, because we shake all the time, but because He is unshakable. Where, where, when, when Paul said back in verse 17, you'd be rooted and established, where did it come from? From Christ dwelling in us. Kind of like when you put a weight in a bag, a plastic bag by itself can be blown away to another continent. But when you put a weight in that bag, what happens? It doesn't move. Yeah, it blows about, but it cannot be moved. Why? Because the thing within it is stronger in its own ability to stay grounded. When Christ dwells within us, yes, the winds may blow. Yes, the waves may crash. Yes, the storm may threaten us. But we shall not be moved. Why? Because our God's love is an anchor for our soul. And with war and pandemics and inflation, all these things, we need a love like that. My goodness, just to get out of bed some days and feed your whiny children. Not mine, yours. Just to do basic things. We need help. We need love. And I was thinking about this the other day because one of the joys of, of had, having a, a baby again, my oldest, as you know, is 14. I have a 9- and 8-year-old. And I've got a 1-year-old. One of my favorite phases is when they're small because everywhere they go, they need you to hold their hand, right? And I was thinking about, you know, just that, that metaphor of, of parents holding, whether it's mom or dad, holding a child's hand. And I was thinking about, like, I was just reflecting on, you know, when, when we do that, who's really holding who? Because there's an element in where, to begin with, it's reciprocal. Like, like the, the child wants to be held by the parent because there's a sense of confidence. There's a key idea. A sense of confidence. That the ch- I can do more and be braver and bolder when I'm connected to my father. That's a word from someone today. So there's that part. But there's also a sense where, if you've had a bunch of kids yourself, you know this, eventually they're going to do what? They're going to try one faster than they can, try to climb an obstacle they're ready for, and they're going to fall. Now, if they had their two hands available to them, which makes logical sense, right? Because if you have two chances to save yourself, you want to take them every single time. By giving up one hand, what does that mean? You have only one chance to say, it seems irrational, it seems illogical. Like, like why would you live in, in, in a belief system that, that, that encourages monogamy? Like, why would you give 10% of your money and more away to the church? Like, why would you give your Sunday morning to sit? It's almost like, it makes no sense. Why don't you use both your hands to enjoy life? Because I understand that even though it may seem like I'm limited, 
actually by holding on to the source of the universe, by holding on to my Father, by holding firm. And even when I slip and even when I slide, His grip is always strong. His grip is always firm. And even though I fall and fail, He will never let go of me. The love of God is the love of a father or mother who walks conscientiously, cautiously, but confidently with their child's hand in theirs. I mean, when things come, whether it be a, a dog runs out or something falls or a child slips, nothing can separate a child from their parent in that moment. In the same way, how much more? We're just, in, we're just normal human beings, limited, crazy, stupid, failing. How much more? God, like nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. That's why uh, the Apostle Paul, another letter to the church in Rome said, in Romans 8, he said, I am convinced Neither death nor life, angels nor demons, present nor future, nor any powers, height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Understand, you can choose to be separated from God by not believing Him, by not trusting Him, by not following Him, but you can never be separated from His love for you. It's forever. And even if you find yourself today broken and hurting, you find yourself in a hole, in a pit of your own making. Think about the words of Corey Ten Boom, who said this, There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. And you know, of course, you know Corey Ten Boom's story. She was a young girl who helped hide Jews and Nazis and witnessed all the atrocities. These were the last words she said before she died. Of all the things you want to say in life, the last thing to leave your lips are this, There is no pit too deep that God's love is deeper still. Back to C.S. Lewis, who said this. He said, though our feelings come and go, God's love for us does not. See, if we're going to stay centered, we need God's love. It is unconditional, undeserving, and unshakable love. We need to be rooted and established in it. Well, that sounds great to me. We've explained it, but how do we do it practically? Well, as the band come, we're going to close it. We give you three practical handles, three ways that we can be rooted and established in God's love. Very quick, very simple. Number one, accept it. Wow, I want to give you a gift. Me? Yes. Why? Just because. Well, I don't know. We don't have to know. Just take it. It's a gift. If I were to offer someone in this room right now a thousand euro, I don't have any money. Of course you would. Because even if you didn't, someone else would. In the same way, God's love is available to you. You may not see it, understand it, agree with it. I'm just saying, would you take... I mean, you've taken risks for less. You've been out with friends, you've jumped off buildings, you've taken drugs, you've been stupid. You've tried much worse things for farce. Why not give God's love a chance? And just accept it. Make God's love your foundation. Make it where you root yourself. Make it the breath of what you want your life to be about. In essence, just receive it. Accept it. Number two, why not, if you're a Christ follower, abide in it. Like, like, make it your home address. People go, who are you? Where are you from? My home is love. My father is God. My surname is Christ. Not really. I'll get that in a second. Make it your home address. That the defining characteristic of your life is not your country of origin. Not the color of your skin, not your socioeconomic background, not your career, not even your title. The essence of who I am is found in all of who God is. I am in Him and He is in me and the person I used to be is no longer visible. Why? Because we're one thing now. 
And the life I live now, I live in the body for the glory of Christ. And even though I'm not perfect, even though I still fall in pits, I thank God. I don't fall like I used to fall because when I fall, I don't fall like an orphan with no father or mother. I fall knowing that one hand is always holding on for dear life to my father who loves me. Come on. Abide in God's love. Remain in it. Receive it. Remain. Number three, abound. 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 We talked about this last week in generosity. Abound. In other words, make God's love your best real. Make it your best real. Make it your brand. Make it the thing that everyone knows you by. Like make it the most visible part of your life that people would see in you. Yes, your genius. Yes, your brilliance. Yes, your story. Yes, the things that you love and are passionate about. But let them see the love of God release that love into the world because God knows and we know the world needs it. The world needs it. Receive it. Remain in it. And release it. And here's what I believe God is saying. When we do this, Even though the wind blows and the storm rages, we will be pegged down. Like my gazebo, but better. Oh, that's pretty close. I won't lie. That gazebo is pretty, pretty, pretty nailed down. But like, but like that, let's be, let's be, let's be centered. Not in circumstances or the economy or peace or war or pandemics. We're centered in the love of Christ. Why? Because the love of God will never let you down. Hey, we are so grateful that you could join us today. We really hope and pray that you were encouraged, that you feel blessed by this message. And you know, it would really help us if you could click the like button and also subscribe to our channel because we want to get this message across Ireland and the world and that would really, really help us. So please go and do that. Um, And also to let you know that you can watch and listen to previous messages and find out a whole bunch of stuff on our website, Lighthouse Church. And something else that's really cool, Jake. Tell us about something else. Yes, guys, we have a brand spanking new Lighthouse Church app. So make sure to go download it on our website or you can download it via the app stores. And there's a lot of cool things in there. You can rewatch previous messages and there's also some downloadable content for you guys. So make sure to download the Lighthouse Church app. And there's also the Old Fashioned Bible on it. Bible is so important. So, and you know what? Even better than this experience today that we've had is church in person. It's just so good. We meet every Sunday morning in Navin and in Dublin. You can find out all the information on our website, uh, but it's at 11 a.m. every Sunday in person, and we have the best time. So come join us. Uh, We would love to have you with us. So we'll see you next week for Lighthouse Church Online, 7 p.m. right here. And also, don't forget to follow our social media handles, lighthousechurch.ie. So we'll see you next week, guys. Bye.